Hello and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast, your fortnightly catch-up on what's happening in the world of Irish film. Stay tuned for the latest Irish film news and interviews with some of the best names in the Irish film industry. I'm Neve Brannigan and I'm joined with Jerry Maguire. How are you this week, Jerry? Yeah, I'm really good, Neve. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, yeah, all good. In this week's episode, once again, you were off out of the studio, uh, like me the other week with uh, My Sailor, My Love, and you were uh, in person in the BFI, am I right? I was, yeah. Very exciting. In the BFI South Bank. Very nice. You were interviewing Andrew Legg, the director of the new Irish sci-fi Lola. But before we dive into the interview, let's catch up on what's been going on in the world of Irish film the last couple of weeks. First things first, we've no awards to chat about for once. <laughs> a little bit of a relief there. Yeah, it is. That was, did that, it feels like that just went on forever, all of those awards. It felt like it was about six solid months of awards shite. And then mm. I am totally sick of it now. Like I really enjoyed... Uh, the build up and stuff. The build up, yeah. And I guess like... Like, I don't know, it's it's kind of like when, when your county gets to the All-Ireland or something, like you couldn't be arsed watching the game otherwise, but you're like, all of a sudden mm. everyone's, <laughs> everyone has yeah. to go and get a ticket from the local guy or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that happen you much, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, does Fermanagh get to the All-Ireland final much? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Are we getting, <laughs> are we having some personal I'm digging here? the knife, I'm digging the knife in, I'm digging the knife in. <laughs> Um, but we're coming into spring and April is a very busy month for Irish film releases actually so um, there's Lola which uh, we covered today which is great and then there's also um, a new feature film called Barber starring Aidan Gillen and that has its official release earlier this week too and in a couple of weeks there is also both Evil Dead Rise directed by Lee Cronin and Pray for Our Sinners directed by Sinead O'Shea Yes. Um, two very very different films there <laughs> very um, different films there yeah not not exactly a double bill that you're going no. to no but Irish Film London will be doing a preview of Pray for Our Sinners which is really really cool but we'll get to that yes so much to get through today what else is next oh also the long awaited release of Lakelands is going to be out early May I remember finishing um, the Galway Film Flat and us talking about Lakelands and yeah. the fact that it's kind of nearly like a year is just amazing I'm so excited for more people to see it now it's going to yeah. be great and we're going to have a podcast um, with the Lakelands crew as well which is really really cool um, it may or may not turn into a therapy session I'm just pre-warning people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm excited for people to see that Lakelands was it went down so well at Erson Patrick's film, film festival in mm. March really excited for that to come out mm-hmm, definitely um, and then also which was a cool thing that I heard during the week is Graham Norton is doing a new Amazon show oh yeah I heard about this so this is Amazon's first Irish like Amazon original series um, mm-hmm. it's the comedy game show thing right mm-hmm, yes last one laughing love Yes, um, lol, lol Ireland. Lol, why I haven't been called, I'm not really sure. Um, but, you know, maybe my phone's broken and I'll get the call to come on the show, you know? Yeah, I heard they were looking for your number there, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> anyway, moving on. Um, speaking of late, late, late show hosts, well, he's not a late show host, he's a talk show host. Yeah. Um, but they're, they are looking for the new Late Late Show host. Um, maybe my phone really is broken, Jerry. Why, that's why they haven't called you for the Graham Norton thing, because <laughs> they're waiting to make an offer to you for the late night. Yeah. I mean, no about that woman. I could do it. That's it. Isn't the Irish Late Late Show like the original, like the longest running of that format of show? Mm, it's the very first Late Late Show. Um, which is really cool and also you know if it is a female host that would be really cool as well because I don't think there's ever been a female Late Late Show host um, oh in like in anyone across the world yeah like there's always just been like female daytime yeah. show like chat show hosts do you know what I mean or maybe there ah. might be someone who might fill in for Jimmy Fallon or something but there's never been like Late Late with or you know yeah that kind of thing so that would be cool if it was a female host for sure um between be really being the cool. very first late late show and then maybe being the first late late show with a female 
host that would be very cool so we'll see who do you we'll think it will see. be though like who do you think is going to take over from Coverdy? i really don't know i mean there's talk about like claire byrne here in garahee um who else were they talking about because you see usually it's kind of someone who would have been in radio for a while like you know it wouldn't be someone massively out of the blue that we've right. never heard of kind of thing right. you know i wonder Although, to be honest, I don't think I'd ever heard of Tuberty before, so... Yeah, true, true that. Um, what else was cool that came out this week? Oh yeah, the Barbie trailer. Oh, oh. my god. Oh my god. Is that I'm not the biggest cast you've ever seen? Like Living, hook it to my veins. I cannot wait. <laughs> it is actually genuinely it and... This Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse two, like those mm. are my probably my two most anticipated films of the year. Agreed, agreed. I cannot wait. Summer's gonna be great. There's another thing as well. It will come to me throughout our chat that's coming out as well. That's also gonna be fab. But oh, yeah. I mean, what a cast! Obviously, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Emma. Yeah. I was I was saying that loads of the cast of Sex Education is in there, which is really oh, fun. Oh yeah, so, I see that. So Emma Blackie and mm. Goody and yeah, loads of people are in there. Um, I see um, Nicola Coughlin's in it. Mm-hmm, yes, um, our very own. Will Ferrell, Dua Lipa, um, Neve Brannigan, He's... Jenny the yeah. Donkey. Um... <laughs> I mean, at this stage, just throw them in. You never know. Could yeah. make an appearance. Could yeah. make an appearance. Have you seen the names, though? Yes, I have. I've been really enjoying them. I, yeah. I tried I tried I tried making a meme of myself to add myself to the cast earlier today, but yeah. my phone wouldn't upload the picture, so I'm not in the Barbie film anymore. Oh well I, I did have to draw a line when I saw Jedward, the Jedward one I was like, okay, <laughs> we, we need we need to rein it in there. Come on, come on. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Oh, That's man. funny. <laughs> But in Irish Home London news, um, we kind of briefly chatted about it last time, but uh, North Circular is going on tour with IFL, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So we have got a ton of new stuff coming up. So yes, we talked about briefly last time, I think, about how we're kind of finished with festival season at IFL now, but weirdly we've got loads of events still to come in April and May, which is great, of course, but also- Never not working. Yeah, it makes me really busy. Um, so, yeah, the first of those to mention is a tour of Luke McManus's award-winning documentary, North Circular. There are dates on sale around Britain now, basically. So the first of those are at the Tyneside Cinema in Newcastle on Friday the 28th of April. There is a show at Glasgow Film Theatre on Saturday 29th and at the Cameo in Edinburgh on Sunday the 30th. And we've just added Dundee on May the 1st so that's four nights in a row in the northeast of England and sort of south of Scotland um, tickets for all of those are on sale now I think the Dundee show tickets for that will hopefully be on sale by the time this podcast is out so when we will be looking to add more dates to that across the month of May and possibly into June so what we've been doing for that as well is we've been taking requests from people to ask where do you want to see North Circular it's a film that's been wow. shown so extensively in Ireland it's it's mm. probably still at the lighthouse I'd, I wouldn't be surprised yeah between the lighthouse and the IFI it's definitely yeah. still popping up yeah but it just hasn't had a chance to be seen in the UK so we're trying to bring it to mm. as many people and especially as many people who it resonates with, with from an Irish background as possible so what we're saying is if you want to see it uh, in a place near you jump onto the Irish Film London website irishfilmlondon.com forward slash events find North Circular and there's a button there to click to email us and request a screening where you are and we'll do our best to bring it to you um, what else have we got going on Wednesday the 19th of April we're doing our preview screening of Pray for Our Sinners that is at Curzon Soho it's directed by Sinead O'Shea who you might remember from the really hard hitting documentary A Mother Takes Her Son to Be Shot which was just an incredible film from a few years back. Um, so Sinead has returned to her hometown of Navin and this film deals with, essentially deals with like the legacy of institutional abuse, but it's very, it's very much a film that's from the perspective of people who resisted and did not give in to that abuse, whether it's 
corporal punishment or the power of the church or mother and baby homes or anything like that the people that she follows are people who said no to that and the mm-hmm. film's tagline is really important and it's really lovely the tagline is there is always a way to resist I really like that oh I love that yeah, yeah. that's going to be gorgeous that's going to be really yeah. really great so Sinead's coming down to do a Q&A for that with a very special host we are, I think I'm okay to say this now on the podcast um, because by the time again by the time it's out hopefully it's all confirmed but we think we've got Annie Mack coming down to host that Q&A so amazing I mean I really hope that we do have her now that I've said that but I'm going to put that yeah <laughs> yeah, you but heard I'm, it here first, guys. A I'm lot. well excited. No. I'm well excited yeah. about that. Yeah. No, no, that's going to be really, really gorgeous. She's such a brilliant interviewer, and yeah, it's going to be a really special um, Q and A. I would say definitely. I wish I yeah. was there. Um, and then for yeah, for our listeners who have listened to um, the podcast, nothing compares, directed mm-hmm. by Catherine Ferguson, um, and maybe haven't gotten a chance to see the documentary. Yeah, there's an opportunity to see it now. That's right. So we're bringing Nothing Compares back to the cinema on Wednesday, May the 3rd at the Rio. Tickets are on sale for that very soon too. Again, possibly on sale by the time this goes out. So uh, Catherine Ferguson will be there for a Q&A, the director. And there might be a networking event tagged onto that event too. So again, look out for more info on the Irish Film on the website this coming week. Uh, Nothing Compares will soon have a digital release. Um we're just not entirely sure when that transmission date is so we just wanted to bring it into the cinema again one last time mm. so this is absolutely your last chance to see it on the big screen so it's just, but it's, it's so gorgeous to see it on the big screen i mean because there's so many concert moments totally so to yeah to see it on the big screen is just is is such a treat to see yeah. Sinead you know perform in any sort of way in that sense so That's yeah it. that would be yeah. that would be really really great so for all Amazing. those for all those just head over to irishfilmlondon.com forward slash events find the ticket links or look up the cinema website for each city or for each uh, screening and make sure to tell a friend and then tell your friend to tell another friend and then pay it forward all like the that. friends yeah and then we'll all see you friends. all there Brilliant. amazing god we are really we're like i just can't get over how much we're growing like all of these places that we're going and you know people that we're reaching and everything it's just mm. So cool. I'm feeling very proud, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. So we should. Be. We're allowed to be so proud. So the the work though does not stop, as you guys can hopefully imagine by everything that we're always telling you that we have on. And um, so we're so ahead of ourselves, so much so that submissions are now open for Irish yes. Film London for our yes. big big festival. Yes, indeed. So submissions for Irish Film Festival London in November have just opened on Film Freeway. You can only submit via Film Freeway, but you are greatly encouraged to submit early to avail of our early bird rates, and those are mm-hmm. until the middle of May, so you've only got a month or so to get yourself sorted for that. So for that, you can head to filmfreeway.com forward slash Irish Film Festival London for a chance to screen your film in the UK's largest festival of Irish film culture. And remember, all selected films are automatically in the running for the Irish Film London Awards taking place at the Embassy of Ireland uh, courtesy of the Ambassador Martin Fraser and I mean if you've been to any of our events but definitely to the, those awards they are a sight to behold it oh is God. a great time altogether. so I'd just even put your film in just for that to be honest just just to get into the Embassy for a yeah. Like, yeah. yeah pretty much um, no but definitely do that and actually Jerry, what would be your advice on filmmakers who maybe have a short but maybe it's not fully graded or maybe the sound isn't fully mixed but they want it would you suggest just popping it in or waiting until it's fully fully formed and and finished that is such a good question actually and that's something that we get we get loads of questions in about that from filmmakers if you're happy with the structure of your film and it's kind of picture locked send it in to us and send us a little cover note to say this needs a grade or this needs like an extra sound mix or something like this but yeah. you know we're going to be watching it on our laptops on film freeway we're not going to be watching it on a big projector and mm-hmm. you've got you've got six months to sort all that out yeah but amazing. get it into us before you can't get it into us you know don't miss the deadline 
products. Amazing. Brilliant. Alrighty. Well, I am looking forward to this interview. Um, really, really looking forward to seeing Lola. And uh, I will chat to you in a fortnight, Jerry. Nice one. Speak to you soon, Nave. Bye. If you're part of the regular Irish Film London audience or want to get more from your experience, consider joining our growing family of members for a range of exciting benefits. Irish Film London is a non-for-profit organisation. Our mission is to promote the best new Irish films to audiences all over the UK and with the help of this podcast, the world. If you become a festival friend or a festival champion, you get perks like discounted tickets for films and events, free access to Irish Film from Home films and invites to networking events and so much more. So check it out now. Another way of supporting IFL is heading over to our Ko-fi donation page, which you can find at ko-fi.com forward slash IFL podcast, where you can chuck us the price of a cup of coffee or even better, a pint. If you value what we do and think, I'd like to buy these guys a cup of coffee if I meet them, well, now you can. Sounds of the sunny South Bank. I'm outside BFI South Bank, the National Film Theatre, because I'm about to go in and speak to director Andrew Legg, whose new film Lola is out this Friday. Lola is... What is Lola? Well... In 1941, music-loving sisters Thomasina and Martha, affectionately known as Tom and Mars in the film, they build a machine called Lola, which can intercept broadcasts from the future. It's quite a cool-looking machine, actually. It's all, like, glass valves and sort of whistly radio kind of interference things going on in it. It's quite a cool contraption. And while the sisters initially use the machine for, you know, the small stuff like becoming the world's first David Bowie fans, they soon realise that it might hold the key to defeating the Nazis. Lola proves to be massively effective in shifting the tide of the war, but as Thomasina begins to become carried away with the level of power the machine holds over the future, the sisters soon discover the world-altering consequences of their actions. The film features original music by Neil Hannon of The Divine Comedy and it's shot entirely on 16 and 35mm film stock and it's directed by Andrew Legg from a script he co-wrote with Angeli McFarlane uh, who you might know from Death of a President and with 16 and 35mm photography by Una Menges. It also stars Rory Fleckburn from This Is Going To Hurt and Aaron Monaghan from Assassin's Creed and Hugh O'Connor from Chocola. So I caught up with Andrew, the film's director, at the quite cavernous Blue Room at the BFI Southbank earlier on this week. Um, I mean, it's quite a big space to conduct a podcast interview in, but I think we got off with it quite well. So let's see. Yeah, let's have a listen and you can let me know for yourself. Your sister is her mysterious invention, Lola. Lola is a system of electrical processes which allows us to observe broadcasts from the future. This is magnificent, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's going to change history. This is the true magic. Movies, royal weddings, a musical rebellion, signals beamed around the world. Because of this pioneering work, this marks a huge turning point in the war against Nazi Germany. Tom, you are more brilliant than even you know. And also more dangerous. We are under sustained attack. Six German destroyers fortified no, 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 no. heavy air bombardment. <laughs> Early this morning, catastrophe struck Britain. Why has it suddenly changed? The adjustment of variables could lead to a new set of consequences. I don't understand. The maliciously false intel resulted in this country being invaded. We have to leave. Lola was never meant to be an instrument of violence. 
we undo this? So I'm joined with Andrew Legg, the director of Lola. Andrew, thank you very much for spending time with me today. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a beautiful film that I've seen twice now. Um, I want to ask you to start off with how the project came about. Um, so the project came about probably out of my short films because mm. I'd done like I'd done like three or four short films, and then I went to get into feature films and. Um, and like in a way, it was a little bit like the devil, you know, like a, like doing a film that that had its origins in your shorts and doing stuff that you're kind of familiar with. So yeah. I'd already done um, a short called The Chronoscope, which is like a faux documentary mm-hmm. in a kind of aesthetic style. And um, and I liked that. I wanted to explore that. And I liked shooting on Bolexes and things because I love, just love the look. And yeah. Those cameras are so fun to use. So I wanted to do something kind of in that format. I wanted to do a genre sci-fi thing. And um, so I kind of developed the chronoscope. I think early drafts of Lola were more, were more like, would have been more like a traditional documentary, mm-hmm. like a faux documentary with talking heads and stuff. And then that went out the window quite early on because I guess it's kind of been done a little bit. Okay. I don't know if it would have, it, it, and then, yeah, it's just kind of developed like that. And this, this, the sci-fi aspect of the machine in, in Chronoscope, it was seen into the past. And then we kind of developed that into the machine because it's into the future um, and just developing it. And then, um, and then bringing in the music elements, like the idea of the sisters being able to see, to, to, to pick up music from the future. Yeah. was the idea that we were really tickled by. Yeah. And um, and I guess that was those were the origins. Okay, so how so that sounds like because I know the chronoscope is like it's quite old as a short film now. So yeah. it sounds like the origins of Lola go back maybe go back in time to that. Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, <laughs> some time traveling going on here. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess yeah, it it is long time. I mean, the current yeah, it is long. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> But then it's filmmaking is long. It takes a long time to develop and then get go from I think idea to I think idea to screen is usually about five or six years, isn't it? Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. Um and then so you're the writer and the director on the project. Is that something that you've do you do you always want to be a writer director or do you do you feel like you always take ownership of your work in those two very different ways? Um I mean, I, uh, it, it's, it's not by design. It's more like, it's more just, I guess you have an idea you want to, it, I, I, uh, I find writing really difficult. So I actually like working with other people. So I actually worked with Angie McFarlane, like yes. helped me on this script okay. and, and co-wrote it with me. So like, I do love working with other people. I find writing really hard. It's more like, it's more just necessity because because you've a film that you want to make and the uh-huh. script isn't there, so you have to write it. Yeah. But not because you want to, but because no one else yeah. is going to Well no one's gonna write it for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I think if you're making if you're making if you're making your first feature as well, nobody's gonna give you like an amazing script. Mm. You're just not gonna get hands the script. Yeah. Um so you kinda of have to generate your own stuff. Okay. I think. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's my experience mm. as well in the production world is that often you can't wait around for things to happen. You've got to be, you know, if you want to be a director of films, you've got to be finding your own work or making your own work. Yeah. So I guess I that's so. what you've done I think in so. this instance. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I always get scared to make the journey because it's so long. Oh, my gosh. No, but it's but it's there now. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think often when you're a filmmaker, you don't want to talk about the journey in case the journey never ends. Mm-hmm. You know, you often don't want to talk about like this script that you've got in development in case it never leaves mm-hmm. development. And then mm-hmm. someone's someone 10 years later says, I remember talking to that guy when he had a script in development 10 years ago, but it never went anywhere. I mean, for me, writing is like, it's like I find a painful process, and for me, it's like literally trying poo at a wall and some bit <laughs> sticks, yeah, and just trying stuff, and and you go, nah, 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 that doesn't work, mm. nah, 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 oh, that's a nice idea, 
like that's a that's for me like the writing i don't i wouldn't just sit there and write a script yeah unfortunately what's what is your process when you're writing like so you worked with angeli mcfarlane on this so where does where did your work start and end and where did angeli come in at what point of the project did she get involved were you at treatment or early draft or something like that or? um i think we had a draft and then we felt we needed to change direction and then angeli came in as script editor and she started she was very good she was like script editing for me right. and then and and she was really good as a script editor because she would be really like there's no conflict in the scene like what's the point of the scene maybe oh yeah you're right so okay. that was great so we did that and then like it came to stage was like well why don't you do a draft and mm. she said cool so i had a draft and then we just gave a turn and she did a draft oh wow and that's kind of how it worked okay and i guess it was collaborative from that point yeah yeah, yeah. and then and then and then we got the draft back and then i would done more changes and then we went and shot it and yeah okay and then like lola as a film is a it's definitely a sci-fi, although it's also like feels like a period film and feels like it's sort of like genre bending a little bit. Um, like, how would you describe it? Mm, this is a good question. Like, it's kind of like an art film in a way, but it's an art film for for genre audiences. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like I guess like for me like the films I would have grown up like watching as a kid would have been much more genre Hollywood like you know like 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 I'd have been much more drawn to that than than very arty films okay so um, what kind of like influences would have been there? like as a kid like it would have been like I would have loved like like Spielberg you know like E.T. and, and Back to the Future and like yeah. Ghostbusters and all these films right um like I love the Coen brothers love Woody Allen films um, so that would be more what I would have would have been the films I would have watched. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, like in a way, I wasn't consciously setting out to make any particular genre. It was it was what I was drawn to. Just like the like I liked the idea of sci-fi and like in the kind of adventure story. But mm. then I also loved the idea of doing a movie where you're using this technology to tell the story in a way. Yeah, like like the idea that these were scientists and the ideas of the cameras and stuff that they use are part of the storytelling. Yes. So so none of it was conscious. It was more like just stuff that I wanted to do. I think. Okay. I just did it. Okay. So like your next film might not be a sci-fi necessarily. Is that what you're saying? Um, it probably will be because I'm kind of drawn to that, oh, and okay. it'll probably be period. I mean, I'm drawn to sci-fi and I'm drawn to lovely like period stuff just because of the beauty of maybe it's a little bit of nostalgia, but the beauty of old things. Like I think when we were doing Chronoscope uh, or, or actually any of my short films and Lola, like what I loved was was getting the work when we were working with the, with the production designers and the designers building Lola, like like drawing drawing from like old 1940s, like beautiful, you know, old televisions and radios where everything's made of wood and glass and valves and brass. And like this yeah. is the beauty of that stuff because like, it's all homemade. It's all like or, or handmade. Yes. Um, so it's just something really beautiful. And in the same way, I guess, like an old car is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think about all the old formats of film that you've used in Lola. Because, I mean, you've talked about Bolex and your love of Bolex. It, a lot of it must be shot on 16mm. And, like, is there lots of different formats in there? Or... Um, so we had we had about five cameras. So we used, um, the main camera was the Bolex. Mm. And that was, that was Mars's camera. So Mars yes. is the is the one of the protagonists who's telling the story. Um, so I saw it as her like point of view was, was the Bolex. Um, but then we also, because when we're doing like long sand sync sequences, we use an hour reflex, uh, 16 mil hour reflex, but with all lenses on it, which you could sync up properly. Mm. Um, and then we used, uh, for the newsreels, we used an hour 35 mil, and then we used a Newman Sinclair when it didn't break down, which is a <laughs> 1930s 35 mil camera that you wind up. Which was beautiful, but it would break down quite regularly. Right. Um, and then we had a little Larry, an old 1950s 16mm Larry that we used for Sebastian's camera. Right. But it's kind of the same as the Bolex. Does that mean the whole thing was shot in film then? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. so rare for a film these days, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was kind of like I remember when, like early on, it was it was never even questioned. Like it, it just had to be 
because of the nature of the film and yeah. trying to get a, uh, that verisimilitude. Is that the word? Uh, verisimilitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, like it had, like we just didn't, we didn't want to start chasing it with digital, so so we did it all on film. Yeah, and some of it is home processed as well. Oh wow! So the opening, the whole opening um, sequence with the little girls who are my daughters, we just shot that off sketch, like off the shoot, like mm. like just at weekends, and um, and that was really nice because I had the luxury then of being able to not worry too much about the film and and just shoot it on the ball axe and then take it home and then process it myself mm. and then post it to to Cine Lab to get scanned. Yes. Um, so that's why that all like that opening stuff has a real like home process to look. Um, and, uh, what else can we say about the artist? And Stephanie operated all her shots as well. Okay. So when she was doing Mars, she was operating as well. Yeah. Which was really good for performance and everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's something I didn't realize about it. I kind of had assumed that like a lot of films these days that there was a bit of like post-production work done to make it look more grainy or filmy i guess but it's all it's all genuine it's that's all there i mean the post work was mainly about uh it was grading the arf the stuff that we shot so that it matched in with the archive yeah so it was more grading work and then there was also we were manipulating archival footage to 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 kind of twist it into our story yes so like london yeah so like, like uh Hitler visiting London and yeah so that's all like rotoscoping or there's a shot where there's like people running through London and then there's a Stuttgart two Stuttgart bombers in the background Uh and that's so that's like real that's a real air raid drill section it's a rehearsal thing in 1938 and then the Stuttgart are put in digitally wow so it's like it was doing that kind of stuff yeah that's something that really caught my eye in the film as well was the use of that that type of VFX work to make us feel like we're really watching something unfold or we're watching a record of something. Because actually now that I think about it another way, another way that I thought about this film when I watched it the second time was that it's almost like a found footage film or something like this, you know? I mean, it presents itself as Mars's message to, to Thomasina. And it's almost like all of it is archived and cut together from slices of reels that Mars has found, right? That was the exact intention. So so the whole idea is like she's like she's documenting all this stuff in the house. And then at the end, when the adventure's all over and she's surviving there, she's like needs to tell this story. So mm. she gets all her home movie stuff and then she somehow gets hold of all the pathway news reels as well and just splices <laughs> it all in together to make this, this kind of monster which yeah. which is why which is which was a real challenge i think in the in the edit because it was it it means and it means it is by definition or by nature you're gonna end up with quite a jagged film in a sense, yeah okay which could be a criticism but that's that's kind of the nature of the beast in a way yeah because because the idea was that she was literally pulling bits of clips from here and there and then sticking them together. Yes. And then Riviola. Okay. And then doing an amazing five one sound mix. Nineteen forties. The nineteen forties Dolby surround, yeah. Um no, but I mean that that makes a lot of sense and it gives more all the more reason why those sequences of things going awry in the city of London and in the countryside why they have to be believable, you know, why they have to be stitched together so perfectly. And it's like, it's fairly amazing to me that it does stitch together so seamlessly. It's like, I really feel like I'm looking at, I don't know, I guess I, I guess I have some sort of uncanny valley sense of there being a deep fakiness around images of like SS troops on the streets in London and stuff that I know didn't happen, but it's you know I can't really see the joins in it kind of thing. Which is that's really good too. I mean, the, yeah. the, the there was no deep fake in it. Like it was all just traditional, and we did flirt with the idea of deep fake because it had yeah. been around. But I, I, I remember having a conversation with Alan, the producer, and it was and he was right. It was kind of it was something nice doing it just traditionally with like splicing and rotoscoping yeah. and, mm. and stuff like that. Um, uh, 
um, but that ro- that rotoscope technique is also like a very old technique. Exactly. So that was quite nice. I mean, right. we're doing it digitally, but it's it's the same. It's, yeah. It's just like it's what like yeah, like Melia would have been doing something yeah. similar. Um, the, the 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 to get that like the what like what you're saying like it was like a really long like the edit was meant to be eight weeks mm. and it ended up being like a five month edit and I think a lot of that was trying to make stuff work because a lot of stuff didn't quite when we were in the early edit it wasn't quite working the way like there was a lot of work to make those those sequences I think feel seamless and kind of but also to keep a narrative going and not yeah that was the chickiness I think yeah yeah okay but as well as all these beautiful aesthetic elements you've got some beautiful performances in there as well from uh from all your leads, really, Stephanie Martini and Emma Appleton, uh, Rory Fleckburn and Aaron Monaghan. I mean, the casting process and everything, it was, it, it, we were very upfront when we were pitching it to actors in that it was a little bit of an experimental film that they were going to be doing their own um, camera operating mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, particularly to Stephanie, um, that it was going to be kind of this low budget, uh, minimal kind of makeup, minimal lighting, and I think they they really they like the the Emma and Steph really like that 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 vibe. Um, and then before the film, we had two weeks because it was it was the the lockdown. We shot the film during lockdown, so they were actually forced to self isolate when they came over to Ireland, and that mm. was kind of cool because we were, I I lent them the bolex, so they went and they learned how to use the bolex. I taught them how to home process film, so we were trying to do stuff like that. And then they ended up living together like in this little house which is really good because they really got to know each other yeah. and they got on really well, which is super. Um, so I think all that really fed into their performances and, and their believability. Mm. Um, and um, Steph, yeah, Steph learned the guitar for the film as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, she sings in all those songs as well. Yeah, okay. So just by being in your film, they're guitar players and they know how to process 16 millimeter film now yeah. so yeah. yeah marks for the cv yeah. that's good um uh i mean another standout element of the film that would be remiss of us not to talk about is its incredible soundtrack um and i think there's two things to talk about there first of all there's the importance of david bowie in this in this film and all these musical references uh, is that? Is that? I mean, is it, I guess is that a reflection of your musical taste, or? But probably, yeah. I mean, yeah. You write what you like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I wasn't going to put music in there. That I didn't love. Um, yeah. So I obviously would be fan of David Bowie, um, and um, that was interesting because I remember when we were doing the script in the early version of the script. It, the, the sisters weren't able to see that far into the future and so that music element wasn't in the script and I remember yeah. when we, I came up with the idea of like the, that's actually what if it's all really far in and they get music and it really felt like a breakthrough in terms of the script like mm. the, the script before that was a totally different much colder beast it mm. suddenly like just opened up a whole fun possibilities and stuff like so this idea of these 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 two women in the 30s 40s you kind of would have grown up in this kind of Edwardian era, but been exposed to like punk and 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 rock. Yeah, like it was, it was something really nice about that. Um, so that was cool. So once that was in there, it made it much more exciting. And then when we were in kind of pre-production, Alan Morris is just why don't you get Neil Hannon, which yes. which I think was like a super. Like I wouldn't have even it wouldn't have even occurred to me that we could have got him. Yeah. So we pitched it to Neil, and he I think was really taken by it. Like our pitch to Neil was that he had to do the the, the, the sisters themselves are musicians, so they're going to be writing music in the film. But they're writing music in the film in the nineteen forties. But their infl- their influences are all like from the future, like from the you know sixties seventies. Yeah. So it's like forties music but with 60s, 70s influences. And the idea is that they kind of make their own instruments. So Tom Cena builds like a, uh, this kind of weird synthesizer. Mm. Um, so that was like one pitch. And then the second pitch was that he had to write music later on in the movie, which was which was this this weird 
kind of fascist alternate universe that the sisters inadvertently create. And it was music from that to the idea that David Bowie gets erased. And then you, instead of David Bowie, you've got like a, this kind of fascist yeah. um, evil version, which was <laughs> Reginald Watson. So that was the pitch to Neil. And I think he just really got that and then yeah. just went. And I remember like early on in, in the process, like he, he was sending me like little videos of um, uh, this, this instrument called a Teutonium, which is a, 1930s early 1930s synthesizer that somebody made in berlin oh wow using all like valves and little electrical yeah kind of things like he's playing it with wires and he was making this maddest weirdest sound and that was the inspiration for the the, the opening music to the movie which is the true jewish oh right which is like a a weird synthy sound with a piano going as well so yeah. the idea is like the one one of the sisters is playing the piano and the other one is playing the synth um okay. so those were those were all the kind of I guess like the parameters for the music and then Neil just went and, and just was sending us these amazing little pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, Neil's the other side of the musical equation in the film. There's the, the licensed music, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then the, the stuff that Neil's brought to it as well. Um, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So there's two, so the licensed bits of the space odyssey and then there's the reworking of the kinks. Oh, yeah, you really got me. You really got me, which Neil did with a guy called Keen Boylan and his swing band. Uh So it's like a 1940s interpretation of You Really Got Me. Um, But then all the other music in the movie, apart from like there's a little bit of Algar, I think, in there as well, but all the other stuff is is Neil's music. There's quite a lot of it. Yeah. Um, Because also the song at the end on the photograph is, is Neil's song, which weirdly when you say to people they're like really i thought it was like just some like 1940s song you got but it's it's neil's um wife kathy davy sing oh wow yes. okay yeah. oh that's lovely and then the song that stephanie sings later in the film was also written by neil right remember, the one she plays on the guitar yeah remember tomorrow yeah okay that's nice i did think that that had a bit of a neil hannon vibe to it. yeah and that's actually <laughs> that's actually i shouldn't say that's his guitar thing. <laughs> <laughs> um there's this great moment where Mars like loses it because she um she's checking the she's checking on Lola and Bowie has disappeared. He's not there anymore. And it's like a life-changing event for her. Like she her whole morality kicks in around what it means to use Lola at that stage. I feel like that's it's such a pivotal moment in the film where I guess the sisters start to go in different ways at that point and um, we get to figure out who they are becoming as characters um, and it's just it's quite, quite nice to me that David Bowie is the catalyst for all that or the importance or the gravity of losing David Bowie makes makes that moment so much more important yeah that on. was yeah no, that's a, that's actually yeah I, that was a fun scene and it was Steph who came up with the whole thing because I remember we were rehearsing it and um, in the in the script it was like Thomas Cena says there'll be somebody as good as David Bowie and then um, Maya says there's, no there's Reginald Watson was in the script and I remember Steph was like it doesn't quite that line doesn't quite work because she needed to she needed something to pivot her up to this higher like emotion of, yeah. of rage yeah. so she put in the Reginald fucking Watson <laughs> into the thing and I remember it was really it's it, it really worked it kind of it's yeah, it's like it's the turning point in the movie. Not a word to Tom, promise. Promise. Right, go over there to that panel, back there, over there, to the left. See the switches in the middle row? Yeah. Third one in, flick it. Yes! Now over to the other side. Other side, quickly. And the three silver ones, flick yeah. them up. Yes. I'm going to need a power surge when we're going. Oh, that's far out. Far out of where? Now, tune it to 133 kilohertz. 9.03 p.m. 8th of March. 1973. Christ, 30 years into the future. I just made your broadcast. Royal weddings, signals beamed around the world. The diamonds, though, are the hit songs. No, you used the wrong time. You, you said 9038 of March. 1973. Let me see. <laughs> 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 
And cracking the chart barrier at number one for the 10th week running, Reginald Watson to sound off marking feet. It looks like Watson will be making musical history as his new hit, Meet Me at the Gallows, has just crashed number two. I don't understand. Tom! Tom! What are you doing? He's not there. Who? David Bowie. Who's David Bowie? He's gone. Bowie's gone. Uh, and then there's this other element of it. I mean, it's basically kind of an anti-fascist movie, I guess, in a sense, in the sense of like, of it being a film that, that's about the dangers of how technology can be manipulated as a weapon and I guess how far, how easily we can be, how easily Tom kind of went over to the dark side a little bit. Yeah, I think she already, she kind of had that little fascist kind of molecule in there a right. little bit, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. Do you think that there was always a part of her that maybe like would have been manipulated into being becoming that kind of person? Is she manipulated in or is she? I mean, she thinks she's doing right. She's well intentioned. Mm. Which a lot of people in the 30s might have been well intentioned, yeah. but misguided. Like she's just totally misguided. Mm. I don't think she's evil though. Yeah. She's just mis she, like her intentions are. Yeah. Because that's maybe like the parable that's in that is, mm. is that, you know, she. She thinks she's doing things for the greater good, mm. serving her country and all this kind of thing. But then she has made a diary, uh, which Mars finds later on, which in which she regrets all the things that she's done and how she's ended up where she is. And you know, how did it, how did it come to this and all this kind of stuff? But I feel like that's that's going to be a common sentiment for a lot of people living in that time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I think somebody was asking me the other day about the Midford sisters because they, you know, the Midford sisters, like, 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 like Jessica Midford was a communist and went and fought in the Spanish Civil War or tried okay. to come first fight in the Spanish Civil War, but they, they, they kind of chased after her and brought her back because she was like nineteen. She eloped with with a communist. Oh, really? Okay. Who was a nephew of Winston Churchill, and the two of them went off over to do that. Oh, wow. And. Uh, and then her and then her older sister, Dan Midford, was like crazy fascist, like really like wow. She was married to Oswald Mosley. Oh wow, okay, that's about as fascist as it gets. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Dan Midford was so like it's extraordinary. Like if you go onto YouTube, there's a, there's an interview with Dan Midford from the nineteen seventies, and she's totally unrepentant about her views. Wow. She didn't she wasn't like one of the fascists that oh, I was never a fascist. She was like consistent to the end. So she thought she was never a fascist. No, she was consistent uh, to the end in her in her politics, in her right wing politics. Oh, I see. She didn't like a lot of people, I think, kind of pretended that they weren't. Right. Fascists. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Where she was like in the 70s, sitting on BBC, like just kind of defending her, her, her position. Yeah. <laughs> OK, OK. Um, the film was shot. A lot of it was shot in Ireland, right? Yeah. Where was it shot? In Selbridge, Kildare, County Kildare. Okay. So Selbridge, mainly that was where the house was. Because it does actually look like an Irish house. Yeah. I think, did you think that when you Well, yeah, like when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, yeah, that could be someone's granny's house or something um, on any old farm in Ireland. But actually it it was believable as like a English country manor kind of spot, I guess. Yeah. I think if you had like, I think, yeah, it's interesting. I always think, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's killed there. And then we shot it in we shot a day or two in Dublin, like right. with the streety stuff, like with when the sisters are taken away, arrested and all that stuff with the mob and yes. the court and all that. And then we did a day in London with Emma, mm -hmm. who plays Thomasina. Yeah. Which is like with in Buckingham Palace and all that. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spotted that. Um it's so it's so funny because it feels without knowing who anyone involved with the film is, it feels like a through and through kind of English countryside tale, you know, but it's actually full of Irish influence and Irish creative influence and 
mostly shot in Ireland <laughs> and uh, British officers are both Irish actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so it's been picked up a little bit. People said that, but I think it's like, like in a way, it's just a, it's a universal story. Like it's two sisters and yeah. like it could be set anywhere in a way. Like they could be French girls. Right. You know, like in the, you know, like listening to French music. Right. In the yeah. Future. And, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, so I'm like, yeah, I think, like, I wouldn't see it as specifically an English story or an Irish story in a way, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just these two yeah. people. Did you always want to set it in, in the UK? I, it, I mean, it, uh, it kind of, again, it wasn't really, con- it just felt like that's where the story belonged, like this, that's where this particular setting belonged. Yeah. I, I don't know how it would have worked in Ireland. It wouldn't have. No. Because we were we were neutral. Yeah. And Ireland was kind of a theocracy in the nineteen forties anyway. Hmm. Yeah, like like it would have been a different type of film. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah, I wonder. Maybe maybe the enemies would have been different or something. I don't know. Um not many the sides. enemies would have been from within. Being like yeah. the enemy would have been the Valera and his fascist brigade of right wing Catholic um, clergy. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not many sci fi set in, set in Ireland that I'm aware of. Um, I actually can't think of any Irish sci fi's off the top of my head. Lots what, of Irish horror. Um, what about Grabbers? Is that a sci fi? That's more horror. Yeah, I'd say it's more horror. Yeah. Um, hmm. Lock and Finnegan. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 Vivarium is not set anywhere. Exactly, yeah. Set in a snow globe. It's of kind of place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um okay, so when's Lola out? Friday, the seventh. Friday the seventh of April. April. UK and Ireland. Yeah. And where can people see it? In their local cinema <laughs> it's yeah it's um only in cinemas right yeah okay. it's only in cinemas um there's a little website thing that, that if you go onto lola.movie i think it is yeah. you can you can you can it'll tell you what which cinemas it's in um it's going to be digitally released i think in may brilliant yeah. okay cool um well okay so 7th of april uk and ireland only in cinemas please go and watch Lola um, and Andrew thank you very much for taking time out of your pre-release schedule to come and talk to me and our listeners thank you very much thank you so much and that's it for this week's interview thank you all so much for listening we hope you really enjoyed it thank you to Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme myself and Jerry will be back in a fortnight with a brand new interview see you then Thank you.